the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. When you accept Christ as your Savior, your spirit is regenerated and redeemed, and you'll go to heaven when you die, and you will shed this body of flesh. In the meantime... The Bible says that your spirit and your flesh war with each other because you're still connected together. And thus, the appetites of the flesh are different from the appetites of the spirit. Your spirit wants to be with God. Your spirit wants to do spiritual things. Your spirit wants to pray. Your spirit wants to come to church. Your spirit wants to, you know, read the Bible, get closer to the Lord. Your flesh doesn't want any of that. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Genesis. Have you ever made a decision for instant gratification only to regret it later? As Christians, we all struggle with our flesh, but we don't always understand exactly what it is we are dealing with. And sadly, many give in to the desires of the moment without discerning the outcome. In today's study, Pastor Gary helps us to see the stark differences between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. Not only are there glaring differences between the two, but one ends in tragic consequences, and the other in tremendous blessing. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message entitled, Jacob and Esau, Double Trouble. I've been visiting a lot of babies. I've only ever seen three beautiful babies in my life. Just being real with you. They all happen to live in my house now, so I don't know how that worked out. But, you know, think about it. Most babies, I mean, you've been in water nine months. You're going to come out a little, you know, wrinkled and a little pickled looking. It's a good thing, because really, if we were to name babies based on what they look like today, I think most kids should be called Yoda when they're born. I mean, it's just not pleasant looking, but they grow up and they, they're all cute and everything, but at first when they're first born, like, wow. Well, that's what they name Esau. So the first thing he looks like, he's red and hairy. Let's call him Harry. And then here comes Jacob, and he's grasping the heel of his brother as he's coming out of the womb. So they're going to name him Yaakov in the Hebrew, Jacob, which means heel grasper. That's what the name means. Now, it began to take on the connotation of tripping someone up. So Yaakov today means deceiver. Manipulator, somebody who trips someone else up. That's what you're going to name your kids, Harry and Heel Grasper. And that's what they have, Esau and Jacob. Well, they're born and they grow up. Verse 27 tells us, boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, 
a man of the open country, which makes sense. I mean, if you look like a beast, you might as well kill him. And you can, you can sneak up on him without any camouflage. You're never going <laughs> to... And they're going to see you coming, you know, so he's a skillful hunter. Of course, that makes sense. And then next to him, you got Jacob. It says, and he was a quiet man staying among the tents. So two very different guys. They're both, you know, men, obviously, strong men, but very different makeups, okay? I kind of picture Esau, he's kind of your man's man. Esau, is a, he's the dude, okay? He kills it and grills it, right? You know, he drives a pickup truck. He's got a gun rack. He's got an NRA bumper sticker, all right? He's smelling like the great outdoors. He's always got a permanent 5 o'clock shadow, listens to Rascal Flats. I mean, that's who Esau is, right? That's the kind of guy he is. Then you got Jacob. Jacob's at home. He's kind of a homebody. He drinks herbal tea. He likes the cooking channels, you know? He... uh, he, he loves hanging out with mom. He ties sweaters around his neck. That's just, he's, he's, he's always perfectly groomed. He cries at movies. He likes Barry Manilow. That's the kind of guy that he is, all right? Now, they're both, they're both good guys. They're both good guys, all right? Healthy, normal guys, but just very different here, okay? And that's the scene that we have here. And dad and mom have their favorites. Now, this is verse 28. This is a sad verse here. Verse 28, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. All right, so we're going to have three quick principles from this flawed family. Here's the first one for those of you who like to take notes. Don't show favoritism. Don't show favoritism. It's not right under any circumstances, and especially in a family. The Bible warns about favoritism as a sin issue. Even in the New Testament, James talks about don't show favoritism in the church. I'll just read to you. You don't need to turn there. But James 2, verse 1 says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, will you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Then later in James 2, it says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Let me ask you a question. Why is showing favoritism sin? The reason why showing favoritism is sin is because the Bible makes it clear God does not show favoritism. So when God is always the perfect standard and we live up to his standard and his example, if we fail to live up to that example and that standard, we sin. That's why the Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. It means his perfect standard. So here God is, a God who doesn't show favoritism. There's no prejudice in the heart of God. There's no discrimination in the heart of God. And then we come along and we show special favoritism to people. We are living a life that is inconsistent with the character and nature of God, and that's why it is sin. That's why it is sin. So we have to guard our hearts against this kind of thing. Peter, in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter, realized there was some favoritism in his own heart. As a Jew, the Jews were used to thinking that they were the special favored people, which they clearly are in Scripture in terms of a specific divine purpose. But God doesn't love the Jews more than he loves the Gentiles, and vice versa. And Peter had to learn this lesson. 
So here he is as a Jew thinking to himself, I have special favored status as a Jew. I'm kind of better than the Gentiles. And God gets a hold of his heart. The story's in the book of Acts. When God, in a vision to Peter, lowers down a sheet from heaven, and in the sheet are all kinds of unclean animals. And the Lord, in the vision, says to Peter, get up and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, these are unclean. I don't eat anything unclean. And the Lord says to Peter in the vision, do not declare anything unclean that I have declared clean. And God was speaking to him about the Gentiles, And at that same time in the vision, God spoke to him about going with some messengers from the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, go to Cornelius' house, preach the gospel, though they are Gentiles. Cornelius was a Gentile Roman centurion. Go to his home, preach the gospel. Now, an Orthodox Jew would never go into the home of a Gentile because it was that special favored status. You as a Gentile are unclean. I as a Jew am clean. And God broke down the barrier in Peter's heart and said, you're showing favoritism. Jesus died for all. You go preach the gospel. And when he did, Cornelius and his family got saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit all in the same day at the same time. And as a result of this, Peter then declares, Acts 10, 34 and 35, he says, I now realize, shows us he didn't before, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. We have to guard our hearts against favoritism and prejudice. It is sin. Now think about it in a family. Here is Isaac and Rebecca. They love each different child. And this is instantly creating a climate of division and competition. We have to be careful that we love our kids equally We can treat them uniquely because each child is an individual and God has wired each of our kids differently. I have three kids. They're all three different and unique and individual. But we have to learn to balance time, attention, affection, and all of that to make sure that all of our kids feel equally loved. And it takes work because if you want to treat your children individually as God has uniquely made them, you will maybe do one thing with this one child that you won't do with another child because that child doesn't like what this child likes. But then you have to remember that you have to also do what this child likes on a different day and make sure that you are open in communication about it. I remember how much Terry and I would focus on communicating at Christmas time because the three kids typically, what do they do? They get up Christmas morning, they look under the Christmas tree, and then they start counting their gifts. It's a fleshly thing. It's sin. And they start looking at how many presents they have and how many presents the other person has. And we've had to say to them sometimes, okay, now look, we just want to remind you, mom and dad spent the same amount of money on each of you, but some of you needed a more expensive, like sometimes the kid needs a winter coat, and and then another kid needs socks, right? Okay. And so the kid with socks, you're going to get socks and a few other gifts. The kid with the coat, that might be it. I don't know, whatever your budget is, but sometimes one kid has several gifts, some kid has one or two. And it's important sometimes we have to communicate this. Hey, don't count your gifts. Mom and dad spent the same amount. Some gifts are more expensive than others. But let me, let me just encourage you as parents because I know that as much as we try to do this as best as we possibly can, inevitably, there's going to be a child or two who's going to lay a guilt trip. It happens. There's going to be a child. You know, little Billy comes up to you. You don't, you don't love me. You don't love me like you love Johnny. You don't love me. Why, why do you say that, Billy? We love you just as much. Because you got Johnny a bike. You got Johnny a two-wheeler. I still have a tricycle. You, you, you love him more. Now listen, Billy, we don't love Johnny more. It's just Johnny's 12, okay? 
You're three. So, so Johnny rides a two-wheeler. You still ride a three-wheeler. It's a tricycle, but you'll, you'll get one eventually. No, I want one now. You don't love me. I want a gun. All right, Bill, you're not going to get a gun, all right? And your mom and I, we desperately love you. No, you don't. I hate you. I don't like you. I'm going to run away and find another family. All right, fine. We like Johnny better. Go. No, 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 no. Oh, wait, don't do that one. Don't do that one. But, but the... Don't get exasperated. They might come laying on the guilt trip thick. Just do the best you can with the grace of the Lord Jesus, and God will sort it all out. But don't show favoritism. All right, read on with me. Look at verse 29. So verse 29, here comes Esau. Verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, because he just got a new recipe and uh, (laughs) wants to try it out. And so Esau came in from the open country, and he's famished. And he says to Jacob, quick, let me have something. Trying to do the Esau voice, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And that's why he was also called Edom, which means red. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. And he says, look, I'm about to die. Esau said, what good is a birthright to me? All right, so they're bantering back and forth here. Now, in the story, it's hard to know their age. I suspect they're at least teenagers here at this point. And the fact is, teenage boys have two stages in life. And they run simultaneously. I've raised a couple of them, so I know what I'm talking about. Two stages in a teenage boy's life running at the same time. Starving or sleeping. Those are the two phases. I'm either starving or I'm sleeping. If I'm starving, I'm not sleeping. If I'm sleeping, I'm not starving. Vice versa. Esau is in the starving phase right now. He comes in. He's famished. He's been out hunting all day. Jacob's there. He's already made some stew here. Edom comes in. I'm famished. I'm going to die. Give me some food. I'm going to die. That's what he says here. I'm going to die. Listen. If you are able to communicate and tell somebody you're starving and dying, you probably are neither, right? <laughs> but he, seemed, he feels like he is, and so, you know, he's all hungry. And Esau paints a picture for us of the flesh. Esau, in biblical typology, is a type of or a picture of the flesh. By that I mean... He is very much a man who is governed by his own personal appetites, pleasure, desire, interest, and thoughts. He is a man who is not under the control of the Spirit of God. He is a man under the control of his own lusts and appetites and pleasure. He is a picture of the flesh, and the flesh is insatiable. We need to understand this about ourselves. When you accept Christ as your Savior, your spirit is regenerated and redeemed, and you'll go to heaven when you die, and you will shed this body of flesh. In the meantime, the Bible says that your spirit and your flesh war with each other because you're still connected together, and thus the appetites of the flesh are different from the appetites of the spirit. Your spirit wants to be with God. Your spirit wants to do spiritual things. Your spirit wants to pray. Your spirit wants to come to church. Your spirit wants to, you know, read the Bible, get closer to the Lord. Your flesh doesn't want any of that. Your flesh is all about pleasure, satisfaction. It's all about me. It's all about selfish interests. It's all about the things that are carnal, that appeal to the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And Esau is a picture of this. He's a personification of it. But it's very, very tragic because notice what happens. For a bowl of stew, he's going to sell out the most valuable thing he has, which is his birthright. He's about ready to give up 
the status and the favored position in this culture of the firstborn son over what? Bowl of soup. The tragic reality is there's a lot of people in life who have made drastic, terrible decisions that they wish they could get back all for five minutes of pleasure. He's a picture of the flesh here. It's a reminder to us what not to do. Don't allow your flesh to rule your life. You have to fight with it, but don't allow it to rule your life. The Bible says in Romans 13, 14, in New King James, it says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. The NIV says it this way, Rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We must, listen Christian, we must deal with our sinful nature as a ferocious beast that is constantly needing to be tamed. If you look at it in any other way, as if to think that you can negotiate with your flesh, you can kind of just, you know, pacify your flesh, you can somehow, you know, mitigate things related to fleshly desires, you're mistaken. We have to understand the New Testament view of our flesh is we have to die to self daily. The Bible says we have to take up our cross and follow Christ every day. There's a crucifying of the flesh, the fleshly nature. We have to get our appetites under the submission of the Holy Spirit that we might walk after God and not after the things of the flesh. Now, Paul said in Romans 7:18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There's no good quality about our sinful nature. Now, let me just quickly add, that isn't to say that every pleasure is sin and every appetite is wrong. Obviously not. God has given us certain pleasures to enjoy, certain appetites that are wonderful, that are God-given. But with those God-given appetites, He also often will set parameters in the area, for example, of, of sex. As God has given sex as a gift, it's a pleasure, it's an appetite also. We are to enjoy it only within the context of his parameters, not before marriage and not outside of marriage. problem with waiting in different areas in our lives, like in particular in relation to sex, wait until you get married, our culture's moving more and more away from something that we used to know better, and that is delayed gratification. We're living in a culture now where we want instant gratification. That's what Esau's about here. He comes and he's famished, I want it now. Can you wait a little bit? Can you get your appetite under control before you give away your birthright? No, I want it now. It's all about immediate gratification. We have strayed from a great character principle that we must recapture in our culture. We need to instill in our kids, and we need to model for them delayed gratification. Mom and dad save up before they buy this thing. They don't charge it on a credit card and figure out how to make the payments later when they don't have the money for it in the first place. There's a lot of stuff that has become really upside down in our own culture and our hearts. Delayed gratification, we've lost that character trait. It's a great discipline. We need to recapture that. We need to be very careful in how we live for the moment. It's interesting, Yale University did a study in 2008. They were studying delayed gratification. They found a correlation between those who were willing to delay gratification and intelligence. They actually did. They pinpointed it. They did surveys, and they actually did MRIs to do brain scans. They found that the part of the brain called the anterior prefrontal cortex actually helps to control decision-making in terms of delayed gratification. So Yale University gave different people samples of examples. Would you rather, for example, 
have $2,000 now, or say no to the $2,000 if you knew you could get $40,000 in eight years from now. And then they would use different numerical values and factor that in. Then they would do intelligence tests, and then they would do MRIs and scan the brains. What they found is the people who were willing to delay gratification, who were willing to give up the temporary pleasure for a greater reward later, actually scored higher on intelligence tests. There's a correlation between intelligence and delayed gratification. Some of you are like, well, I kind of like things now. What, do you, what does that mean about me? I'm just telling you what the study said. All right. <laughs> so, delayed gratification. Don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't let your flesh rule your life. Here's the last thing. We'll take a quick look here at Jacob. So now, verse um, 33. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to to Jacob, because it wasn't like a document, so he had to swear an oath. Yes, you can have my privileged status. Verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left, so Esau despised his birthright. Man, what a brother. You see your brother coming in all starving and hungry, and you're going to take advantage of his situation to benefit yourself. And so Jacob is becoming true to his name here. He's a deceiver. He's a manipulator. He's an opportunist. He's going to take advantage of his own brother's hardship to profit himself. You sell me your birthright, I'll give you a little cup of stew. I want your birthright. He's true to his name. He's a deceiver. The Bible warns about taking advantage of people. It's Leviticus 25, 17. It says, do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. In the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 4, 6, it says no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. You know, the fact of the matter is, Jacob didn't need to, to resort to this. God had already promised him the inheritance of the covenant birthright. He didn't have to stoop to this level and manipulate and connive and give me your birthright and I'll give you some stew. You can't have this till you give me that. He didn't even have to do that. Because God had already providentially decided that he was going to get it. But this is what happens when we allow this part of our lives, the deceptive, manipulative, opportunist part of our hearts, to take over instead of just relying on the Lord. It's a question that needs to be asked of all of us. Listen, do you manipulate people to get ahead? Do you try to get your way by positioning yourself and manipulating people? You take advantage of people's hardships so you can get ahead at their expense? Do you do things that profit yourself while taking advantage of other people in the process? It's sin. And so that's what we're being reminded of here. Do not manipulate, deceive, or take advantage of others. Again, this is a flawed family. Sometimes God keeps these kind of stories right here in the Bible so we can take a hard look at ourselves. Fact of the matter is, there's a little bit of Isaac, there's a little bit of Rebecca, there's a little bit of Esau, there's a little bit of Jacob in all of us. Maybe we don't want to admit it, but probably from time to time we do show a little favoritism. Maybe there is some prejudice in your heart that you need to deal with. Maybe there is a fleshly appetite that you haven't gotten under control. You're not governed by the Spirit, you're governed by your own flesh. Maybe there is a part of us that likes to deceive a little bit, manipulate some people, and do some things so we can get ahead. All those things are sin. They're shown to us through the life of this flawed family. Why don't we, as we close our Bible study, just pause and pray and ask the Lord 
to show us if any of these things are in our own hearts. This has been another edition of Cornerstone Connection, the teaching ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. It's our prayer that this message from the book of Genesis, taught by Pastor Gary, was a blessing to you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to listen to or watch more messages, you can access all the messages you hear in this broadcast by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll find our entire teaching library covering Genesis to Revelation. If you'd like to add today's teaching to your personal study library, you can do so by logging on to cornerstoneconnection.cc, where you'll find Pastor Gary's message available as a free download. The easiest way to obtain today's study is to subscribe to our podcast. Subscribing is simple when you use programs such as iTunes. The podcast is always current and completely free. When you subscribe, you'll always be up to date with the latest messages from Pastor Gary. Again, for more information about our podcast, log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study with Pastor Gary's teaching through the book of Genesis. That's next time on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.